Yes, good morning. It's a Sunday morning, February 2nd. We have an open line show just beginning. That means your general health questions for Dr. David Hilden, your host. Good morning, doctor. Good to see you again. Good morning, Denny. Good to see you as well. You've been on the road uh, here and there? I have been. I have been since I've talked to you all last. I got back from a medical conference, and this one was in the in the warmer climes of uh, Hawaii. So I just got back from there yesterday. Well, we feel sorry for you. Yeah, it was a rough gig. It was a rough gig. <laughs> You'd be shocked that there's 800 people, mostly doctors, um, uh, in, a, in a hotel ballroom learning. And uh, it was sponsored by my very good friends at, uh, at Mayo. And um, they, it's a, uh, it was a great conference, actually. I picked up lots of good tidbits. Somehow or other, I have to stay on top of it, and uh, this is how doctors do that. Sometimes. That's true. You do have to do yeah. that. And I was actually giving some of the lectures, so that's what, uh, that's what I was doing there. And um, coming back to this, it's actually quite beautiful here, though. I mean, it's warm out, and it's lovely. It is. Above average temp right now, but cooling off later. Uh, let's invite our listeners to join in on the conversation. As I said, this is an open line show. What does that mean? We're not talking about any one particular a topic, although I do want to ask uh, Dr. Hilden about the coronavirus. So call us or text us. You know, we tend to get busy when we do this open line show. So call, the same number applies, 651-989-9226 for your phone calls, if you'd want to chat with the doctor or if you just want to send the Dr. Hilden your text, same number, 651-989-9226. I'm sure you and your colleagues uh, maybe even folks in the airplane were talking about this coronavirus. We were, Denny. Um, thanks for bringing that up. So we, uh, I did want to say a couple words about coronavirus because it's on the minds of everybody, as it as it probably should be. Indeed, on the, in the airplane, a lot of people were in masks. But uh, at the hospital, at Hennepin Healthcare, we've been talking about it since we first heard about it, which seems like a long time ago, it does. but it really wasn't. I think it was just a few weeks ago. And we, uh, we have an emergency preparedness plan in place, which we always do, but we are updating our 6,000-plus staff on what to do about it. Fortunately, there are no uh, cases that are worrisome in Minnesota yet, but that's probably only a matter of time. I think it is likely that we'll see coronavirus um, here. It is definitely in the country, and things spread so fast nowadays that uh, – even faster than in the past because of international travel. So I think it's quite likely that we'll see some cases here in Minnesota as well. We're starting to learn a little bit more about the virus, although still uh, quite a bit is unknown. It seems to pass just like the family of viruses that it is part of, which is the one that causes the cold or things that you maybe heard about in the past like SARS, that Southeast Asia respiratory virus, or MERS, the Middle East respiratory virus. These are all viruses They are not bacterial pneumonia. They are viruses. So the common cold is caused by a virus. Influenza, the flu, is caused by a virus. And so in the coronavirus is simply another one of the viruses that leads to a respiratory infection. It is probably passed by droplets. So when you sneeze or cough or get um, your body uh, fluids onto your hands and then you touch other things, that's probably how it passes. So in, if that were the case, then masks and the like would be effective. So we're, we're ready to go. We've stockpiled masks and gowns and everything if we needed to. It's kind of interesting that we're still in the last year of our five-year project around Ebola virus, if you remember that. And so mm. the hospital, at least at Hennepin where I work, is exceptionally well-prepared because we are, um, we've done drills. We do uh, staff training all the kinds of things that you might need to do to prevent a big in, a big outbreak. And that's I still think we're going to be re- ready to go when we do see some coronavirus 
here in Minnesota or in the upper Midwest. There's one interesting thing we're doing. I, I, I've talked to some of our infection prevention people. You've heard of the mystery shopper or the secret shopper. Oh, sure. We have a mystery patient program. I didn't know this, uh, um, but we send a, like a practice, a pretend patient unannounced to our clinics in our emergency department, and they're doing that as well for, for the coronavirus. Kind of undercover work. An undercover pr- – yeah, they send a, one of the staff person, and they go and, and pretend to have all of the symptoms that you would have. They have a few things in their history that should alert the caregiver – that this person might be at risk, they'll give a little story. You know, I just got off an airplane. I was, you know, I was over in the in in China, or, or they'll. I don't know exactly what they do, but sure. they but it's a they have a little practice script and uh, just to kind of keep us all on our toes. Interesting. So, what's interesting about coronavirus is that it is it does spread quickly, probably not a heck of a lot more quickly than other in, uh, uh, viruses, but it it's just of a nature that it seems to spread very quickly. And it does have some virulence, means that it can be very serious in many people. But so far, thousands, you're thousands of times more likely to have problems with it, with the flu. So um, we have to do PEP to put it in perspective. It's a serious risk, and we are taking it very seriously, and we're going to be ready for it when we get it. But we also have right here, right now, influenza. So the best thing to do about coronavirus for all of us is the same things we tell you to do for influenza. Wash your hands frequently. Use an alcohol-based gel or foam. Uh, Sneeze into your elbow or into a tissue or cough into your elbow or into a tissue, not into your hand, Um, because then your hand will touch doorknobs and computers and phone screens and buses and things like that. So wash your hands frequently. Cough into your arm or a tissue. Stay home from work if you have a fever. You're not doing anybody any favors, including yourself, by going to the doctor if you have a low-grade fever. If you are pregnant or small children or older adults who get quite sick, you should seek attention. But everybody else, you're probably best off just staying home if you have a fever and you don't feel so well. Did I see or read correctly that they are rushing to try to find a vaccine for this? Yes, I, I, that actually looks a little promising, as best mm. I as, as I can tell. Although I don't have any inside scoop on that, but yes, um, they can sometimes come up with a virus relatively quickly. Um, China is an interesting place because this you know, this the outbreak is of course centered in Wuhan, W U H A N Wuhan, China, and because of the government structure in China, quite totalitarian, if you will, um, uh, they they're building a whole hospital. In like yeah. two weeks, yeah, and 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 I'm sure it'll be a makeshift hospital, but it'll be able to hold thousands of people. We could never do that, you know, finding the land and getting all the. So um, their their country, um, for whatever whatever else you think of it, is very efficient in some of these things, and so uh, the the containment is quite um, quite severe, if you will. I don't know that that. How, how they can actually do that. But Wuhan's a city of like 11 million people. Mm. And they've now, after some delay, I hear, but they have now closed off the whole area. So if they can do that quickly, hopefully both in this country and in other um, uh, technologically advanced co- countries and in China itself, uh, a vaccine might be the best way to go. Uh, uh, and I think it can be done relatively quickly, but not by tomorrow. No. <laughs> but, but, in, but in a matter of, uh, you know, within this year, hopefully. I think that's something that's quite promising. So stay tuned. Stay tuned yeah. for that. 651-989-9226 is the phone number. That's also the text number. You can uh, send the doctor uh, your text or give us a call, 
This open line show, not any particular topic. Uh, let's go to the phones, uh, Doctor. Uh, George is calling from uh, Bloomington. George, the doctor is listening. Yes, hi. Good morning. I read that article on good age, and boy, you do have that uh, boyish figure. <laughs> Thanks, George. <laughs> okay, now I had open heart surgery on January 24th, and of course I had to have constipation in the hospital. Simicot was the only thing that worked. They discharged me on Thursday, and I haven't gone since, so this is day number four. Now, I didn't have any Simicot when I got home. I had Ducolex. I tried that. That didn't work. So then I tried uh, a combination of Miralax and um, Simicot. That hasn't worked yet, and that was last night at 6 p.m. I was just wondering if you have any um, um, suggestions. Great questions, all of them, George, and thank you for that. Thanks for the comment about the Good Age article. That is a magazine, Minnesota Good Age, that you can get at, at – uh, um, around the metro area, or you can go online. I'm, I'm, I happen to be on the cover of that. And George is referring to the comment in the article about my, that, that I look a, a wee bit young. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he's talking about. Anyway, yes, good, great yes. questions about constipation. So I, first of all, um, when you leave a hospital, I, w- I wish we would give patients, we meaning the medical community, would give patients medications for their constipation because it's an, it, it can persist after hospitalizations. I would for sure take a scheduled laxative, um, George. That means take Seneca twice a day, take your, lac- your Miralax probably once a day, every day for a couple of days, drink loads of fluids. You can do Adulcolax as well. You can do all of these things. You don't have to do just one or the other. I would do two or three things all together. So, so two Seneca today, one Miralax, one Dulcolax, probably take some milk of magnesia as well. Um, eventually one of these things will do the trick. Um, try some milk of magnesia. Add that onto so you're doing two, three, or even four things. And uh, if you don't have a, a bowel movement in four, five, six days, um, then then your your doctor can prescribe something along the lines of what we give you when you get a colonoscopy, lactulose or okay. a magnesium citrate or something, but that's by prescription. Thank you, George. John, hang on. We're going to take a quick break here. We have a more open line show to come. 651-989-9226 is the phone number and the text number. A few clouds here in the Twin Cities. 40 is our current temp, probably hitting about 38 by 5 this afternoon. You stay tuned to News Talk 830. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. We're doing an open line show today. That means uh, you drive the show, your phone calls, your text messages, and we have a ton of text messages Maybe we want to grab one I'll or gra- two before back to the phone. Okay, phones. I'll grab one or two. One of them is um, <clears throat> asking about coronavirus, asking a good question. It says, if human coronavirus is so new, why has it been listed on my Lysol can for years? That's a really good question. I was just looking at uh, one of the uh, cans of Lysol, but I couldn't. Uh, yeah, coronavirus couldn't... is not new. I've known about it for my you entirety have. of my medical school. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's, um, but you get different strains. So every virus has all these different strains. And just like there's, you hear about E. coli, well, I've known about E. coli for decades. It, all E. coli is not the same either. There's um, your average urinary tract infections caused by E. coli. Many people listening today have had E. coli infections, and it's not the one that kills people in the epidemics. But there are substrains of the various organisms. Same with coronavirus. Corona means crown, so it must look like a crown under a microscope, but I've known about it for years. This particular one is a strain that has just um, been particularly virulent, meaning making people really sick and particularly contagious. So, I don't know. The viruses change many times in a season. In one calendar year, these things mutate into different strains, and 
So it's the same basic coronavirus, but it has interesting. It's got a, it's got a bad yeah, strain. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a good question actually. Um, here's one that says I had overhydration around Christmas. How long should I watch for complications? Um, by overhydration, I assume this texture means their sodium was low on their blood test. Overhydration is not common. It happens in people in the hospital a lot or when you have other conditions. I've, we don't use the term overhydration. That sounds kind of a, it doesn't really, if that's what you mean. Um, but if you're, the person is asking how long should you have complications, not till now. Um, th- th- that's a thing that gets corrected in a day or two, if that is indeed the problem that they're talking about. That would have been corrected um, last uh, month ago. Now, if by overhydration this person means you have too much fluid in your body from things like heart failure, that can go on literally forever. So um, I guess I would need more information to answer that, much more than that. All right, let's go to the phones. John has been waiting there in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, John, you're on CCO with Dr. Hilden. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good, thank you. Doing great, John. Good, good. Say, uh, Doctor, I was wondering, do you know of any um, facility that offers free cancer screenings? No. Um, uh, okay. Um, um, there depends what kind you're after because there are some qualifiers for that. There are, for instance, places that will give low or no-cost mammograms for women. Um I would imagine that some facilities, including my own, will do uh, certain types of screenings for that. There's the SAGE program and the like for mammography. For other types of cancers, I'm not really aware of it. I do know that certain facilities, um, Planned Parenthood comes to mind, who will do uh, some types of cervical cancer screening um, for also for women. Um, the other kinds of screenings that we do are colon cancer screening, and that one's a little rougher. I'm not aware of anyone who does them for free. But the only cancer screenings that are medically uh, called for are cervical, pap smears for women, colon for men and women, and breast cancer with mammography. Some some men choose to get prostate cancer screening. I think that's a good idea. Um, and other than that, there are none with I'm trying to think of I'm thinking out loud a little bit here. The old oh the other one is lung cancer screening if you were a smoker, but only if you smoked for 15 years um, in your past. So those are that's it. Lung, breast, prostate, and colon cancer are the only screenings. And and um, I think breast cancer is the one I can think of that has some some low or no cost screening programs. Other than that, what I would do. What I would do is go to your primary care doctor. If you don't have one, I suggest um, everyone get one. Um, and go to your primary care doctor and find out which low, low, low-cost options are available. There are very cheap um, colon cancer screening programs available. So that's particularly one I would look into. All right. Thank you, John. Uh, John leaves that line open at 651-989-9226 if you want to call it in. Or the uh, same number applies to the uh, text messages. We have a couple of uh, suggestions for the uh, gentleman who had, um, it was George who had, uh, um, was talking about various ways to get the bowels moving. Uh, somebody's saying use whole psyllium husk in water. Here's another one that says, how about pumpkin seeds and figs for the constipation? These are all probably good ideas. I'm not, um, I wouldn't dismiss any of them because anything you can do that people have tried that works, they probably do. Uh, anything that, that um, keeps um uh, water in your intestinal tract, and anything that, that um, helps the fiber content. So that's what figs are doing. That's what psyllium's doing. Those are uh, um, uh, fiber. 
Here's one that I don't know if I can agree with, but I absolutely love it, so I'm going to read it. Here's a guy. Here's somebody says, for constipation, my 95-year-old aunt was plugged up from pain meds. I brought her White Castle with onions and <laughs> pony beer. <laughs> I don't know who sent this one, but that one gets the We had an award for text of the day. I love that one. White Castle with onions and beer. Okay, that's not the medical recommendation for constipation. But, but if it worked for you, and I especially love it that it was near 95-year-old aunt. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that text. So we're getting a chuckle out of that one. Heck, it might work. So thanks for that. Actually, I'm getting a little hungry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think I've had a... White Castle, since uh, like I was a sophomore at Washburn High School, and we used to go to the one down on Lake Street. Yeah, hold the beer. But bring, hold the beer. What do they used to say? Buy them by the sack. Right? Oh, they yep, say, that's yeah. right. That's right. You want to grab another uh, text? Uh, we'll do another text here that says, here, um, says I, this is a different subject. I am a 66-year-old male and need to find a new primary physician in my town of Alexandria. How do I go about the selection process? That's a good question also that is hard to answer because um, – what I usually say is word of mouth. That sounds very uh, quaint, doesn't it? But I say find out people in your neighborhood up by Alec up there um, and say, who, who do you like? Because, frankly, um, what's really important is a therapeutic relationship, is that somebody you kind of get along with, someone that, that feels like they're listening to you. I don't think you have to go to online and look up the grades of the doctors and find the ones that got an A or got all the stars. I'm highly skeptical of that that method right now because they look at things that you probably don't care about. So um, looking at anything online for um, finding who's the best, I don't like that as much. You can't. Another way to go is start out by looking at your insurance plans, covered providers, because it's probably more important that you get somebody A that you like and B that's one of your preferred that's covered. Because it's probably not worth getting somebody who's out of your network when there could be somebody quite good in it. So start with your insurance plan and then start asking around um, and see if if uh, somebody uh, comes recommended by a friend of yours. That's what I would suggest as your best route to go. All right. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Janet is calling from uh, St. Louis Park. Janet, you're on CCO. Good morning. Um, good morning. I'm Dr. Hilden. Um, December 20th, I was prescribed the antibiotic clindamycin for seven days, and it worked wonderful and I had no problems. But now two weeks ago, I just have become, you know, I mean, really bad cramps and um, stomach pain and diarrhea. And um, I don't have a fever, but I get chills and shivers. Right. Um, thanks for your call, Janet. Um, I, I would li- like to recommend that you be seen for that. Um, uh, maybe even today, but if you're having fevers and chills and not feeling well, um, and diarrhea, particularly you named the medicine that is kind of the hallmark medicine for leading to what we call a C. diff infection, Clostridium difficile, um, which is a, 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 a byproduct of, of getting antibiotics and clindamycin is one of the top cul- culprits for that, although it can happen after any antibiotic. I don't know that you have C. diff, but it can be a rather um, severe infection sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. So it's characterized by bloating, cramping, 
Um, diarrhea, it's almost always loose stools. Well, it kind of always is loose stools. So if your stools are solid, that's probably not C. diff. Um, but if you're feeling systemically unwell, like just achy, malaise, and if certainly if you have a fever, I would recommend you go in. It could be something else. It could be um, some other secondary infection. It could have nothing to do with infections. Uh, but it could be this C. diff. It's C period space D-I-F-F, which is short for, well, they even changed the name. It used to be short for Clostridium difficile. Um, the, the genus is Clostridium. The species is difficile, which is Latin for difficult, <laughs> I think. I think that's what it is. It's now been named, renamed Clostridioides difficile. But it is an infection that is out there. It is um, one that requires um, some different treatments. So that's what I would recommend, Janet. Please do go in and have somebody see you. If your symptoms are really bad, you could go in yet today to an emergency (laughs) department. But if not, if they're just mild, 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 then you could do it yet this week. But I would recommend you be seen for that. All right. I know we have to take a break uh, quickly here, but I uh, want to remind our listeners, if you want to call in your uh, your question, fine. If you want to text it, it is the same number. And that number is 651-989-9226 for both the phone call and the text messages. And before we break. Do I have time to talk about Heart Month? It's February, which is Heart Month. It's been Heart Month since before I was around, I think. It's from the early 60s. Um, the American Heart Association has been calling February Heart Month, and we are indeed in February. It's uh, it encourages us all to 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 join the battle, if you will, against heart disease, which is still the number one cause of death in this country by far. And we've got a bunch of stuff going on in Hennepin Healthcare. We're really going um, all in on Heart Month this month. And if you want to hear what's going on, check out our website. It is hennepinhealthcare.org/heartmonth. You can hear about hands-only CPR, which is happening on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday from noon to 1. You can learn to give CPR using your hands only. You can uh, participate, no matter what, whether or not you go look on the website, in National Wear Red Day, which is this Friday. Lots of other things to look at, including uh, hearing about our show next week with cardiologist Dr. David Fine. So headupinhealthcare.org slash heart month. Yeah, that's coming up next week. We'll remind listeners of that when we uh, come back. We'll take this break. We have another half hour of the show to go. Call it in or text in your question, 651-989-9226. 40 degrees now here in the Twin Cities. The weather coming up. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. This is an open line show today. You can ask uh, Dr. Hilden your question by phone or by text. Again, same number, 651-989-9226. Uh, let's go to Pat, who's calling from uh, Minneapolis, I believe. Pat, you're on CCO. Thanks for waiting. One of my sisters, who's a psychiatric nurse practitioner, has an illness where she, where to prevent C. diff. There's one particular brand of of uh, probiotics that she t- she's taking that I can't remember the name of, but that her doctor said this is the one that really prevents C. diff because my sister's on such a strong antibiotic regimen right now yeah. and um i when you when when you mentioned that one particular medicine what are the medicines that are really really bad for starting c diff because i have to take um a quadruple dose of uh antibiotics every time i go to the dentist because i have an artificial hip so what are the what are the antibiotics that are implicated mm-hmm. in c diff and also what do you think of an institution that would tell someone that they don't want them to give them 
any kind of probiotic buildup for the C. diff that the mother has because they think the body should build itself back up? Yeah, good questions. Um, first of all, I would say that the information you're given about taking four antibiotics before your dental, your dental procedures is obsolete. And um, I don't know anybody who still recommends doing antibiotics prior to dental procedures for hip replacements. So um, uh, listen to your own doctor and get to the doc- your doctor's advice. But that was um, commonly given advice some years ago, but mo- it, and we've given patients weird information, mixed messages on that. But almost all um, uh, professional organizations that I know have found that that was not necessary. So you might, first of all, not, um, consider not taking antibiotics before your dental procedures for your hip. But that's not really the question. The question is about C. diff. And almost any, well, probably any antibiotic can have the consequence of leading to clostridium or C. diff, almost any of them. I mentioned clindamycin because that was the first one and one of the ones that is most implicated, but it can be any of them. The reason is this. Clostridium is a bacteria that lives in the intestines of many people. Many of you listening probably have it in your intestines. Not all, but a lot of us. And in fact, the contents of your intestines, I know this is a fun Sunday morning conversation, the contents of your intestines are largely just bacteria. That's what's in there anyway. Most of them are quite beneficial and we want them there. But when you take an antibiotic, for whatever reason, And we prescribe antibiotics way too much in this world. But if you take antibiotics for a different reason, it kills off all the good bacteria that you want in your intestines. And what is left is the C. diff because they're they're nasty little soldiers in there and they survive the antibiotics, but all the good bacteria were killed off. And so those C. diff that were sort of just a small little minority community in your intestine become the majority, and they set up shop, and they take over. And that's what leads to this um, infection. So that's why any antibiotic can do it. Probiotics, in theory, replace some of the good bacteria in there. There's relatively little evidence that it does much, but there is promising evidence that it won't hurt and it might help. So we often tell people to take probiotics to prevent, uh, to promote good gut flora. So I don't discourage that. Um, you should know that it, um, if you're taking strong antibiotics for other reasons, the probiotics don't stand a chance. So um, it is probably not going to hurt. It really might help. So I encourage trying the probiotics, but don't expect miracles, it, particularly if you're taking antibiotics for some other reason. What I do encourage people to do is eat healthy probiotics, yogurt with active cultures in it. Yogurt, I mean, not processed yogurt with a bunch of sugar and other things in there, but just, like, get some good quality yogurt and eat one of those every day. That is probably a good idea. You can also get probiotics in pill form and all that, and um, that you can do that as well. But one way to do it, a healthy way, it has protein, low in fat, good probiotics, is to eat yogurt. So that's a little bit of a conversation. Best of wishes uh, to you, I mean, thanks for your call, Pat. All right, very good. Let's uh, grab another call before the text uh, messages. Sharon is calling yeah. from Bloomington. Hi, Sharon. Hello. <clears throat> um, I am 83 years old, and I uh, would like to understand my hearing loss better. I it, it, it started 10 years ago, and it's gotten increasingly worse. I can say that increased volume isn't the answer. I could probably tell you how many syllables are in a word, but I can't tell you what the word is. 
that I'm trying to hear in conversation. Right. Um, um, thanks for your call. It's a great topic, Sharon. Um, uh, I remember, I recall having Megan McCoy, one of our hearing specialists, and I've had um, some other audiologists here in the past, because it's so common, and what you describe is so common. You can hear the volume just fine, but you can't discriminate, actually, what is being said. Um, the first thing I would say for sure is to go to a, a, a qualified audiologist and have a comprehensive ear exam because they can pinpoint, is it a conductive problem? Conductive means the sound waves are not getting from the outside world through your ear canal, through your eardrum, through the bones of your ear, to your inner ear. It's not being conducted properly through those places. Or is it a a sensory neural loss, which means the sound waves are getting into your ear just fine, but they're not being interpreted by the nerves of your brain and your ear canals correctly. Those are entirely different reasons for hearing loss. Older adults, um, it's exceptionally common to have sensoroneural hearing loss, um, which is really well-treated with modern hearing aids now. So it really, really, they do work, and they're small, and they're unobtrusive. So um, first of all, you need to figure out which kind of hearing loss that is. If it's a conductive hearing loss, it may just well be you've got a whole bunch of earwax in there, or you may have a perforated eardrum, or there's some other problem that they can um, correct. But if it's a sensory hearing loss, there are really good um, treatments now for that. So step number one is to go to a hearing audiologist. We have great ones at Hennepin. Oh, you do there. Oh, we have great ones at Hennepin. I would send anybody to them um, at our clinic and specialty center, our our audiology department. And then they can also, if there is a problem that they're finding in there, the audiologist can refer you to an ear, nose, throat doctor who can do some imaging. They can get MRIs. They can do a really good exam with their fancy equipment to see if there's some other things that they can fix. Um, So that's what I would suggest. Audiologists with possibly a trip to the ENT, but start with the audiologist. Very good. Should we go back to the text messages? Absolutely. Here's one that says, um, this is a big topic. It's about depression. Are there any medications that are better than others when it comes to treating depression it's a really important topic and a really good question and one that I could spend an hour talking about. Um, um, so it's well beyond what I could say here. But the, the, the shorter answer is yes, there are good treatments for depression. This is a treatable um, condition. Um, are there any that are better than others? That is a very individualized um, uh uh, the answer needs to be individualized. There are plenty of them of, uh, that are effective. It's just a matter of finding, first of all, a doctor or other provider that you, uh, that you click with who can work with you over time. What there isn't is one pill that you can take, just go to a doctor, take one pill, and never come back again and say, yep, just take this, you'll be fine. That doesn't work. It does require dose changes, it, adjustments of medications um, uh, and, and follow-up visits, and there are some. There is one that is very likely to work for nearly everybody, but it's not the same one. The other thing that I would suggest that has been shown to be equally as effective is, is therapy. Talk therapy is, is really effective. So I And often, for some people, a combination of medications and talk therapy are even more effective than either one alone. Talk therapy does require a bigger time commitment, 
Um, but but it's a non-drug method that is effective in many people. So I suggest um, seeing a good primary care doctor first, and if need be, a psychologist for talk therapy or a psychiatrist for additional medications. But there are really good treatments. And that's another area that Hennepin excels. We're very good at psychiatry, yeah. Um, and, and I start with I, most primary care doctors should be able to start you on the path to either therapy or start your medications or both. Um, but sometimes people, if the, if, as it goes on in time, um, it's sometimes a good idea to get a specialist in those cases as well. All right. Very good. Do we have time for some more of these sure. texts? Here's one that says discuss PMR. PMR for listener is polymyalgia rheumatica. Is prednisone the only drug to use? Side effects of long-term use of prednisone. Great question. PMR is a rheumatologic condition in which, in which the proximal or the close-in muscles of your body get sore and weak. When I say close-in, I mean your shoulder and your hips. Your toes and your feet and your ankles, they're fine. Your wrists and hands are usually fine. It's closer in, in medical terms, proximal. So that would be shoulders and hips. So it's hard to stand up because that takes your hips and your gluteus muscles. It's hard to reach overhead. It's hard to do your hair. It's hard to brush your teeth because it's difficult to raise your arms up. But you do fine with motor movements like writing a check out of a checkbook. Uh, The old medication that we use, which is highly effective, is indeed prednisone. And as the texter has alluded to, there's a lot of side effects of prednisone, a lot. Some of them are short-term. Um, but the real ones are for it with continued use. And people with PMR need it for continued use, like lifelong. So prednisone, you want to use it at the sl- smallest dose you can. Um, but the good news is try. there are some other things. There's a medicine called methotrexate that's been around for a long time. And more importantly, there's a lot of even newer things to be tried for the rheumatologic diseases. The issue I would say is um, this is a situation I would go to a rheumatologist you go see Dr. Rawad Nasser at Hennepin, and he'll take care of you. He's a rheumatologist, or go to the rheumatologist that you um, see. There are different medications other than prednisone for polymyalgia. Although you might need a low dose of prednisone, but it's certainly worth looking into some of the newer ones. All right. I know we have to take a quick break here, but we kind of began the show talking about the coronavirus. We did. We talked about coronavirus at the beginning. If you missed that, we talked about Ways to stay healthy. Well, you know what? It's uh, what we're really in the middle of for sure right now is influenza season. It's still widespread, and and um, that's a very real uh, situation right here and now. It's not too late to get your flu vaccine, but I might suggest that next year you do it in October. <laughs> so it's getting late, but what you can do um, is wash your hands frequently, stay home from work if you're not if you're not feeling well or keep your kids home from school, and certainly get your flu vaccine. It's not perfect, but it is by far the best thing you can do to protect yourself. Very good. Let's take this break. We have more show to come. It's an open line show. Call in or text in your question. Same number, 651-989-9226. Our temperature reading in the Twin Cities is 40. We're going to drop to about 38 by 5 this afternoon, a kind of a breezy day today, and we'll have a high of near 29 tomorrow. So enjoy this today. 40 degrees right now on Newstalk A3-O-W-C-C-O. Good morning. Welcome back to our open line show here on Healthy Matters. Uh, 651-989-9226. Text number, phone number, same number. Do you want to grab some text yep, messages? Let's, let's take a couple more. Sure. I'm just going to – a few people are questioning what I've said about um, antibiotics for dental procedures um, when you've had hip replacement. 
Those of you who are still taking antibiotics for dental procedures after an old hip replacement or any other joint are going on old advice. Now, if you just had a recent one in the last few days or for a few weeks um, or, or even a few months, then it might be reasonable to take antibiotics before um, dental procedures. But if you had a hip or a knee replaced many years ago, that advice is also many years old. And most um, uh, uh, patients were told to take antibiotics forever, but that advice is largely not based on any science. That was just what sounded like a good idea. You don't even teach that anymore. We, in don't, teach, we don't teach that at the medical school anymore. Now, you might find your orthopedic surgeon or especially your dentist is saying, you better do this because they're trying to be safe. But the downside, you really don't want to get C. diff. <laughs> the downside is worse. Um, and there's no evidence that it really does anything to protect your hip. Now, that being said, there are some recommendations from some surgical societies or some dental societies that might that might equivocate on that, and they might say you should still do this. I would never tell you to do something different than your own personal physician has told you because you're a unique person. Maybe your surgery was really unique. Maybe your dental procedures are very complex. So everybody, there's always exceptions, but the general guidelines do not show any um, basis for taking antibiotics before old hip or knee replacements. Okay, so that that's, um, but certainly ask your doctor because we're getting lots of texts and phone calls because it is still a, a recommendation that's given out quite a bit. Let's grab a phone call before we run out of time. Gary is calling from Hopkins, I believe. Gary, the doctor's listening. Good morning, doctor. Say about, I'm about 69 years old. About 10 years ago, I had a hiatus and hernia where my uh, stomach moved up into my higher chest cavity and they, they had surgery. They brought it back down. They sewed it. And then about six months ago, I had the same thing done, very painful. They bring your stomach back down where it gets strangled and you lose some of your intestines. Sounds awful, Gary. Yeah, and now I'm having it done Friday again. But I just wonder, you think this could be something... Uh, it could be something to do with my genes or what's going on. So, Gary, are they doing the same procedure over and over? Mm-hmm. It keeps yeah. herniating. Right. Yes, and they, now they're going to try some mesh, but they're going to use robots. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I might um, – or I might get a second opinion or a third opinion because what, what – uh, for other listeners, what Gary is describing, a hernia is whenever any part of – any body organ pushes through another – your stomach's supposed to be in your abdomen, not your chest. If it slides through the small hole in your diaphragm, it can push a little bit, not the whole thing usually, but a little bit of your stomach can kind of get pulled northward towards your mouth um, into your chest cavity where it can lead to all kinds of things, most notably gas, um, acid reflux. That's the biggest issue that it can lead to. And, it can, and so they pull it. It's, the, the initial procedure is usually pretty successful. I mean, the surgeons do this all the time. It's not like it's experimental or something. They pull your, they, it sounds kind of funny, but they pull your stomach back to where it belongs in your abdomen and they sew it in place. Why yours keeps happening, I don't know. I have no knowledge, um, Gary, about whether that's a genetic thing or why that might be um, uh, or why it keeps happening. That's the part I'm not real clear about. So I would just make sure you're going to somebody who is, um, very, it sounds like you are, if you're going to someone who's using robotics and all that, that's very advanced technology. I think it's, uh, I hope you get good results with that, but I guess I don't have a good answer as to why it keeps happening with you. The thing I would suggest to you is make sure that you're monitoring for acid reflux. You're the kind of person that should likely 
be on a daily antacid medicine probably for the long haul until this thing gets uh, gets um, taken care of. Because acid reflux is more than just a little bit of a nuisance. If you have it chronically in your esophagus, it can lead to changes that aren't healthy for you. So I guess I don't have much other than that to tell you. That Make sure you're getting another opinion. Make sure you're getting somebody who is uh, um, going to give you some assurances that this might be more definitive. That sounds like a real bummer. All right, let's uh, thank Back you, Gary. To the text. Yes. Here it says, you said coronavirus treatment is like flu. Is the coronavirus more deadly to get? It sure sounds like it on the news. It's more virulent um, and more contagious, um, uh, the coronavirus is. But I would say probably not. Um, for, for It's probably not more deadly than deadly than is influenza. Flu kills has already killed way more people than corona. Way, way more. And so I would say if just by looking at sheer numbers, flu kills thousands, tens of thousands of people every year. A couple hundred have died of corona. A couple hundred versus thousands. So flu, I would say, is um, uh, quite deadly. However, that being said, this is a novel virus. They're even calling it novel coronavirus to distinguish it from the -the run-of-the-mill coronavirus that we've had. It does seem to spread quickly. It does seem to cause some severe illness when you do get it. Uh, so I would say it, it, we, there's just not much we know. This coronavirus is the real deal. I, um, it, it does cause some illness. I think what we should be careful to do is to not, and from the medical and the public health community, guys like me, is to not make people overly panicky. Yes, it's a real virus. Yes, it's, um, it can be quite contagious and people do get quite sick. But I don't think that we should um, have that lead to mass hysteria, for instance. I think we should take some common sense precautions. Um, And like at our hospital, that's what we're doing. We're ready to go. If somebody comes with coronavirus, we know what to do to protect the public as best we can. You said the same thing earlier as you would with the flu. Wash your hands. Sneeze into your arm. Sneeze into your arm. Wash your hands. Stay home if you're not feeling well. Those are the things you can do now. There is a texter that that came in early that I hadn't answered yet that says, do you really recommend, um, here's someone going on a vacation. I can't remember where they're going. I think they're going to the Cayman Islands. Oh, yeah. I'm traveling to the Grand Cayman Island next week. Lucky you. That's gorgeous there. Sand beaches as far as you can see. And that person says, I got a layover in Atlanta. Do you recommend I wear a surgical mask in the airports or on the planes? I don't wear surgical masks on those. I would if I were going to China. I would wear one there. Um, But... I don't. Now, should you or should you not? It is It is probably the coronavirus or any virus. Flu is definitely passed through droplets from people coughing and sneezing. So if you're particularly worried, it probably offers some measure of protection to wear a mask so that you don't get droplets from people on airplanes. I would do that not because of coronavirus. I would do it because of influenza. Now, I don't choose to do any of that. I just wash my hands a lot. The other things you should do, keep your hands away from your face. Yes, that's, that's the most important thing on an airplane um, because all those surfaces are literally crawling with viruses. And wipe down your tray table. Wipe down your tray. Do that. That's probably a, yes. a good idea. All right. We're just about out of time. Next week on the show, what are we going to talk about? It's going to be a cardiology talk with Dr. David Fine. We're going to talk about cardiac rehab for heart month. Join us again next week. In the Twin Cities, we have a few clouds. Our current temperature reading, 40 degrees.